Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the programme where we take old picture postcards and repurpose them as little stepping stones to take us on a rather rickety cardboard path back in time. But I don't take this journey alone, because that would be very odd. So each time we invite two guests, and it's their postcards, cards that for some reason they've kept, cards that mean something to them, that we use as the crazy paving between our everyday lives and some particular memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson, and today my guests have a lot in common. They're both writers, are both captivated by popular music, and both live beside the seaside. In fact, they shared a charabang into town today and sang all the way. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> they are. Music writer and novelist Zoe Howe, and publisher and champion of the consolations and benefits of reading books, many books, all the way to the end, Andy Miller. Zoe and Andy, I'm thrilled you're here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. And thank you for the uh, the packed lunch you gave us. <laughs> <laughs> if you could put the rubbish in the bin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Zoe Howe is a remarkably prolific writer on popular music. She's focused her pen on The Slits, Stevie Nicks, The Jesus and Mary Chain, and many more, and has a long-standing interest in the Canvey Island and South End Sound, having written a memoir with the legendary Wilco Johnson, and more recently a fascinating biography of the Dr Feelgood frontman, Lee Brillo. Not content with chronicling the rock and roll life, Zoe's started making it up in her lively, funny debut novel, Shine on Marky Moon. Part romantic comedy, part satire built around the out-of-control lives of a reformed, but not reformed, 80s synth band. Zoe arrives bearing a Leon C postmark. (laughs) Zoe, do you still send postcards? I I do send postcards. I tend to sort of buy up loads and loads and then and I with a mind to send them to people but generally speaking I tend to sort of keep most of them for myself because I just love them so much. I've got this sort of long-standing love of just having them around me. Well Andy Miller is best known for his bravura meditation on reading and where it can take you. The year of reading dangerously. In other hands this is a project that might have turned into a rather disposable list. Here's a book, I read it, it was quite good. But fortunately, Andy uses the idea of taking the books you say or even think you've read and actually reading them to lead the reader on a funny, clever and quite moving adventure of self-discovery, analysis and, dare I say it, love. 
Those of you who enjoy casting the pod will also recognise Andy's voice from his work on the excellent bookish podcast, Backlisted. Andy comes to us today with an indelible postmark from Croydon, overstamped with a crisp, computerised cancellation from the North Kent coast, <laughs> just across the water from Zoe. Andy, when did you last send a postcard? When did I last send a postcard? Ah, oh, that's a good question. I think it was probably a thank you note for uh, someone who had sent me a book. And um, Seems a fair exchange. It, yes, it is a fair exchange. I haven't actually yet read the book, but nor have I said on the postcard that I have done. I've merely expressed delight at uh, receiving the book and adding it to the pile of several hundred other books. Uh, I hope the person I send the postcard to is listening to this now, uh, <laughs> where the, I may not get to their book for some time, but I'm still happy to have the opportunity of reading it. Uh, regular listeners will be too aware that I believe that postcards somehow weave their way through nearly all our lives in strange, unremembered ways. Zoe, in Rock and Roll Gentleman, your biography of Lee Brillo, you mention... I don't know if you've seen them. You mentioned the postcards that Lee Brillo used to send. Um, can you tell me about that? Yes, yeah. This was a real kind of uh, thing that he did. I mean, he would get a lot of fan mail throughout his life, his tenure as a, a rock star, and he would write back to all of his fans that, you know, he would, you know, without fail, he would make sure he, he wrote back to everybody because he appreciates every single missive he got. But he would always send them postcards from wherever he was on the road. And, you know, just I suppose something about postcards, you sort of we send postcards to our loved ones and our friends and family. So I suppose for a fan to get a postcard from their hero from wherever they are mm. on the road is, 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 is one step more kind of thrilling than just a note on a bit of headed paper or something. And so so many people I spoke to, fans for the book, all said, oh, he used to send me postcards and it was just so thrilling and I've kept them all. And, you know, I, I just thought that was completely charming and, and lovely. I suppose it also makes perfect sense if you're on the road, mm. though it sounds like he got up to quite a lot of activity with him on the road, <laughs> and, and, and buying a postcard may not have been top of the list, but he, he obviously made the effort as he visited a new town to, 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 to pick up a postcard. Also, it's like those rock stars, isn't it, who, who, who draw every hotel room that they stay in. It's creating your own kind of structure to the day that mm. isn't just a sort of sound check, gig, stay up till three in the morning, yeah. get up late, get in the bus... So there's a kind of activity that actually connects you to the place you are um, at any given time. Andy, um, we know from your book about books and your book about reading and reading your book about reading, you've got a house (laughs) full of books. uh, Yes. So many of us are cursed with. Um, Are there postcards slipped between the pages? Yes, I used to use postcards as bookmarks, although I've stopped doing that now. In the bad old days when I didn't finish books before 2005, uh, I would mark a place in a book that I got to with a postcard and then just leave it on the shelf. So I have got quite a few books in the, in, in, in the house where I can go to and because of the date on the postcard, I roughly know when I stop reading it. It's a shameful thing to rediscover as well, isn't it? Or... Yeah, uh, but as you, as you know, since my uh, born-again reader phase began in 2005... I now take each one of those when I find one as a challenge. It tends to be something that I, I, I respond to and go, OK, well, you abandoned this 
copy of um, Midnight's Children uh, by Salman Rushdie in 1991. For example. <laughs> the question is whether to begin, start again from the beginning or to pick up where you, where you left off you can 27 years up, ago. Can you? you can't pick up. You have to go back. Yeah, surely. I, I, in the case of Midnight's Children, I started again from the beginning. In fact, I finished reading Midnight's Children yesterday, a book I started reading in 1991 and finished 27 years later. <laughs> Unputdownable. <laughs> now, before we see and hear the cards that Zoe and Andy have brought along, um, I'll give you a quick one of mine. Um, this is, of course, a postcard from the past card, um, an old card from which I've selected a part of the message. Um, and this card is the Nightwood Oak in the New Forest. So, I can confirm that. For, for, touched for up photograph, I think. Um, and it was sent in 1970 from Ringwood in Hampshire. And the message that I've taken from this is... Had our lunch in Ringwood, but I was stung on my neck twice with a wasp. Harold's grumbled at me all day. <laughs> so, really, poor old Connie has had a pretty miserable time in the New Forest. I am utterly fascinated, uh, listeners, as you would be if you are an aficionado of Tom's past postcard project, to try and glimpse how much of the actual message on the postcard he has used mm. there. And it looks like there's quite a lot of extra text yes. requiring significant editorial work <laughs> by Tom to create the pithy message he has just communicated to you. That is per precisely correct. But uh, if you were to look at the back of the card, I would have to poke your eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> He's very deliberately holding it away from both of us. <laughs> but I will say it's all real. Oh, but, I, but it's not all the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just... Because I have a doubter in the room. <laughs> uh, I, I, one, one more quick one. This is a, a much more recent card. It's a picture of... Stonehenge. Stonehenge. Correct. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> this is a good game. Um, now, this one, uh, it's a lot more recent. I, I can't see the date on it. But it costs seven pence to send this, as opposed to the five old pence the last one mm. cost. And unusually, this message refers to the image on the front. And um, let me find it. Stopped off on way. Ray said 25p was too much to pay to go and see it. <laughs> so we looked on from the road. <laughs> I'd seen twice anyway, so I didn't mind. <laughs> So there you are, one of the great... Uh... Do you, I must ask you, I feel, I, I feel this is a huge privilege to ask the person who puts this together. Do, have you developed like a sixth sense when you look at either the front of the postcard <laughs> or the quantity of writing on the back where you think this is going to have something that I can, I can utilise? Well, as you know, Andy, from the world of editing, a cursory glance is normally enough. You get a right. feel for these things. But, yeah, I think, on the whole, if there's lots of words in it, statistically, you might find something funny in it. Um, but, no, you have to look. You have to read it. I will tell you, the best bits are always two-thirds... Two not all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I waste my time reading a whole postcard? <laughs> anyway, that's my next book, How to Read a Whole yeah. Postcard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't not you, lie about it. And don't it, tread yeah. on my toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, two-thirds of the way down is the best bit. Really? Nearly always, yeah, yeah. yeah. The afterthought. 
Right, okay, so someone's yeah. relaxed. They've they've given the first part of the information, which yeah. is probably we've been here a fortnight. Been there, we've done been this. there, we've done Got the weather <sighs> out of the way. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, look, I've still got yeah, uh, yeah. like half an inch of space to yeah. fill. And then they let themselves go. Ah, the truth really comes out. That's when the truth comes out. It's like the kind of just one more thing in Colombo moment. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or the last minute in therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, that's my observation. This is not a scientific uh, fact, but that's the way I see it. So. Listeners, I should remind you, uh, all of you listening to this podcast, images of all the cards, including Stonehenge and um, the New Forest, will be on the website, and you can see that we're not making any of this up. So, Zoe and Andy, you've been kind enough to come along to the studio today clutching postcards. Zoe, tell me about the first card you brought along. Well, the first card I brought along is um, a black-and-white postcard of Chalkwell Hall in Leon C., uh, which is very close to where I live. And the person who sent this postcard in 1904... 1904. So this is the, from the golden age. The, the golden age. When millions of cards <laughs> are being sent every day. Yes. They have written on the front, quite near us, and it's actually quite near me. Quite so near us. what's strange about it... I mean, it's a lovely picture. I know Chalkwell Hall very well. Uh, it's now uh, inhabited by uh, an arts organisation called Metal Culture. And uh, they're very good friends of mine. They do lots of excellent things. So they are based in that beautiful white house. And at this time, presumably it would have been a private house. Someone would have lived there. Presumably, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's quite a sort of grand, old, beautiful white house. And I think it was a bit of a kind of white elephant for a few years and it wasn't used and it was sort of falling into disrepair. And then Metal, this uh, organisation, sort of uh, moved in and, and, and it's kind of their hub now. And they do lots of kind of events and things like that. Um, and, yeah, Chalkwell Park is very loved uh, by, by sort of the locals. But what, what's kind of sweet about this, and I've always been kind of obsessed with old postcards with writing on the back. I've always found it really touching and poignant. You get these little insights into people's lives, as you yeah, say. Yeah, don't you just. And this person has written, uh, again, another mysterious person. We don't know what their name is, but they have written to Master Alan Woding that they are staying here another week. Uh, and, and they've said, I think Zoe and Noel... Uh, would like to run around the sands. And, I, and of course, I am Zoe, and I do like to run around the sands, so I sort of seem quite... Wow, sort of slightly, slightly spooky there. I was going to say, that's to like me. a hauntological text. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I was a teenager, I would have these sorts of little cards around me all the time, and if they didn't have writing on the back, whenever I had a visitor, I'd get them to pick their favourite card, and then I'd get them to write on the back. So oh. I'd have lots of kind of little memories of different times... Wow. Other people, which but, is... But yeah. memories across two times. Well, yes, the yes, original indeed. And the original like a, and the uh, yeah. more contemporary, yes. Very interesting. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, that's a nice... Uh, I like the fact that it ties in not just with your location, but strangely with your name. Yes, odd, isn't it? It's very strange. Yeah, especially as... I don't think Zoe was a very popular name then. No, it's quite an unusual... Yeah, it definitely would have been unusual then. If your name had been Herbert, you'd have, you'd have been, you know, they're all over the cards. Yeah, it's or, very or, odd. Or, or, or yes, <laughs> Ida or Daisy, you know, anyway. Yeah. Andy, what is the first card you brought? I think also from the coast, isn't it? Yes. So I've brought a card that shows a view of a crazy golf course on the seafront at Cliftonville in Margate, I estimate this postcard was printed about 20 years ago. It's not that old. No, um, the image is probably older than the printing as well. They often are. Yeah, and it shows a man with his shirt off sizing up 
the hole ahead of him on the crazy golf course while his long-suffering partner and two children look on. <laughs> uh, come on, Dad, it's not a real sport. But, of course, it is a real sport. Absolutely. Um, Do you have any kind of uh, evidence that it's a real sport, Andy? Uh, well, I won't go on and on about this because I've, my first book is a book was a book called Tilting at Windmills, and it was a book about how much I hate sport, which I do. <laughs> Some people say you can like books and sport, but you can't. No, I don't agree with that. You can't you can't really like both of them? <laughs> you can half like each of them. You have to choose. Anyway, I don't really like sport, and so when I wrote this book, what I wanted to do was find a sport that I could participate in. And I thought it would be what would be artistically uh, and philosophically pure would be to find a sport that was taken more seriously in the rest of the world than it was taken in the UK, but treat it as though it were played as a serious sport. And what I discovered, to my great delight, to cut 110,000 words (laughs) short, is that miniature golf, a.k.a. crazy golf, is played competitively almost everywhere else in the world except in Britain. And therefore it would be possible by the simple expedient of not training or participating in uh, trials, but by turning up to represent the UK at the World Miniature Golf Championships, which is indeed what I did. Um, but, but, but... And then you won the World Championship? I did not win the World oh. Championship. Oh. I came last oh, by I'm a massive margin <laughs> because it's a proper sport. Oh, I see. And you would <laughs> and you treat, it, lark, treat it in this Larking manner. about. <laughs> yeah. The thing about that... With like, more the, than the, half an eye the on the book. Th- <laughs> the thing about it... Uh, the thing about that is, when you go and participate in something where there are 200 other participants and they are all way better than you at that thing it becomes quite difficult after the first half hour or so to just sort of dick about and go (laughs) I'm no good at this right and be endearing you're not you're wasting everybody's time and so you get a kind of you get seized with a kind of Stockholm syndrome where you want (laughs) to play as well as you can and you haven't um, done the but you're no good at it. But you're no, yeah, but you're no good at it. Hang yeah. on, did I do them? Oh no, I didn't. <laughs> but you're no good. But you're no good at it, right? So why I am interested in crazy golf courses, however, is twofold. First of all, no one else in the world calls that calls it crazy golf. Crazy golf is a fantastically British mutation, bastardisation of miniature golf. Right. So the idea that it, the, it's played exclusively at the seaside or for the most part, it has a clown's mouth and a windmill and, and what have you. These are very strange British adaptations of what, as a sport, you would be more likely to play something like snooker, if you think snooker is a sport, which of course it is because they're all sports. Um, but this course in Cliftonville in Margate, which is just along the coast from me in Kent, This photograph was probably taken 25 to 30 years ago. The course was still open about 10 years ago, but it closed relatively recently and is now derelict. And if you go there, it is really poignant to see it grown over with weeds with a lot of the obstacles cracked in two and lying on their side. And the course was an example of a type of crazy golf course that we would all be very familiar with from when we were kids. Green felt to play on, red and white obstacles. If you've ever played crazy golf in this country, you would recognise these types of windmill uh, rocket, assuming the rocket hadn't been painted over and (laughs) had Freddy and the Dreamers painted on the side (laughs) or whatever. And what's interesting about them is they were originally rolled out in the 1960s as an example of some of the first global branding 
by an international sports star. They were owned by the Arnold Palmer organisation. Arnold Palmer was a golfer who is one of the first sportsmen to have really understood the power of their personal brand. And they applied it to everything. Yeah, Certainly everything to do with golf, but also all other products as well. And the a, licensing deal reached the British coast? The deal was clearly done quite aggressively to go round to, we estimate there were probably 50 or 60 of these courses in the UK, wow. but to go round to sites which were either empty or had homemade crazy golf courses and say to them, you'll attract far more footfall. Look at our brochure. I've got some of the brochures at home of wow. what you could expect to, to, how many people you could expect to get through the course, get through the site. And so they were rolled out as a kind of high-end piece of standardised global sports branding. And then the, it's in the brilliance of the British that they then take that yeah. and within two or three years have started adapting it like a primitive tribe to their own purposes. <laughs> But the way they do it is, is to make it sillier and more fun and seasidey, isn't it? Is that yes. what happens? It's the great, the great British tradition of seaside facetiousness is. Yeah. <laughs> we're at the seaside, it can't be serious. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I'm intrigued by the car. That is a fascinating story. And I have this vision of this American salesman with a clipboard going around all these coastal resorts trying to sell in the Quite Palmer so. brand. And that's a... Well, that, that's um, you know. But also, your next project, but one is the feature film of that. Indeed, no indeed. But also, what's sad about it is, of course, that aspect of the seaside, uh, which hangs on in there, has of course declined significantly in the last thirty to forty years. Certainly, since the courses were built, since this postcard was printed, there are far fewer of these courses around. Even in the fifteen years since I wrote the book than there were then, because, of course, the British seaside itself is struggling now to find a niche now that people don't really go there on holiday anymore. You know, it's, the, it's one of the... In a tiny example, it's an example of the great flight to Benidorm that took, started taking place in the 50s and the 60s. Mm. I just want to look at this card again briefly. I'm intrigued by a few things on this image. One is that they're so unimpressed with the landscape, they've put a lot of sky in there. <laughs> <laughs> they have. They have. And they have. This gives the this gives the, the the foreground a kind of very very flat kind of wasteland feel. It, it's like it's been raised. That raised R A yes S Z E D yes, yes. not raised as in elevated. And the other thing about it is the the moment that the photographer has chosen to click the shutter when this chap is here with his shirt off. And the rest of the family are looking rather unhappy about it. I just, <laughs> the ball. I'm amazed. I'm astonished that they've chosen that shot. The ball is en route to the hole, so it's an action shot. There's a bit of excitement there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't spot that action. No, you're absolutely right. I can see now entirely why they chose to capture that mm. moment of sporting excitement. <laughs> you should have seen the ones they rejected. <laughs> there's also <laughs> the notice just the... to the right, just to the right of the picture. There's also a bouncy castle. Oh yeah. Which uh, which seems to be more. I've looked at this carefully under a lens. Uh, seems to be more populated, yeah, more populated <laughs> than the than the crazy golf course. Well, I also wonder if the crazy golf course used to extend over where the go kart track is, and the go kart track has encroached. 
It almost certainly did. Actually, you know what? I've ne- that has never occurred to me. But you're absolutely right. You're spotting you the beginning of the end there. You, yes, that's the thin end of the wedge, yeah. isn't it? That's mm-hmm. the process. Wedge, of, you see, for golf. marginalisation. Process of marginalisation. It's the, it's the, if you will, if we, if I were Ian Sinclair, I would say that is the liminal space within yes. that uh, yes. seaside. View. Yeah, well, it's a, yes. It, if if I fully understood how to use the word liminal, I would say it's a very liminal card, actually. <laughs> very well, in its own way, it is also sublime. I think it's very, very good. Th- thank you very much, Andy. That was a very interesting card and brought us into places I didn't expect to go, um, <laughs> which can be so perhaps. Easily. Perhaps I should have known. Perhaps I should have. Known. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, you're listening to Podcast from the Past, the postcard podcast, and my guests today are Zoe Howe and Andy Miller. Zoe, I don't see a second card. What's going on? Well, this card is sort of in my heart and my memory, but I no longer have it. Or I think it exists possibly in a, a shoebox in my mum and dad's garage. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so what is this uh, This. this card of your past? Well, this this is one of the many cards that, that uh, I, I festooned my teenage bedroom with, but this one was very special to me, particularly special. Uh, and it was right by my bed, and it would be the last thing I saw at night and the first thing I saw in the morning. Oh, wow. And it You're was... building this well. <laughs> <laughs> it was a postcard of The Who, uh, my Hi. favourite band since uh, I was very young. And uh, my dad had a, a, a fantastic record collection and lots and lots of records by The Who. And so I would, he very kindly les- let me listen to all his precious vinyl. And I just fell in love with The Who completely. And Pete Townsend and particularly Keith Moon, and mm. uh, I, I think he's probably the reason why I started playing the drums, actually. So, yes, The Who, big part of my growing up, um, and so I had this postcard of them in action. <laughs> uh, so doing a session, I think it was. It wasn't on stage. They were doing a session. Do you know who the picture was by? No, I don't. It's probably a name photographer. It probably is. Yeah. It probably, but it, it wasn't like a sort of like, it wasn't like an iconic. So they weren't posing or anything. Right. It was just sort of like a like someone had just sort of snapped them, and it, it sort of it, it was in this studio. And 
I just I only had eyes for Keith Moon really at that stage. <laughs> what was he, I don't really what remember. Was he, what was he wearing? He was wearing the white long sleeve t shirt with the target, the oh, classic great. look. He had sort of short hair, so it was kind of yeah. probably nineteen sixty five, I would think, that kind of era. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was sort of he was mid drum, and I I just adored him and it, and it just you know he was it was like a talisman <laughs> for me as a young drummer, and I always thought that he was. Um, I know everybody raves about Keith Moon, but I sort of still feel that he's kind of underrated as a musician because everyone goes on about how mad he was and how crazy he was. But actually, if you listen to how he plays, he's one of the most musical drummers. Um, yeah. you know, very kind of inventive and creative, and cut, there's so much colour in how he plays. And, and a um, lot of drumming. A lot of drumming. Yes, a lot of possibly maybe too much at times. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, so I was a huge fan. But there was something a bit strange about this postcard, or at least I, I like to think so in my fevered teenage brain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, one night. I remember lying in bed and there was sort of light coming through the sort of, you know, crack in the curtains, sort of shining on the postcard there. And I, I remember hearing some tapping sounds and I thought, oh, my God. my po-. Obviously, the first thing I thought was my postcard is haunted. Uh, <laughs> that's naturally that. the first place I went to. And uh, and I remember being, you know, this is, this is... And I remember telling all my friends at school, you know, I've got a haunted postcard of Keith Moon, you know... <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, I've got a haunted postcard yeah. of Keith Moon. I imagine it was possibly a spider, but I never, I, could, I can't confirm that. I'm saying that with my Boris. rational. No, very uh, good. Bor- very <laughs> there good. you go. You see, I hadn't even thought about that. But uh, so I don't know. It may have been a spider. It might not have been. But it was. Was it? It was a tapping. Yes. A regular tapping. Like a sort of a rhythmic tapping. Oh, good lord! It wasn't Keith then. <laughs> <Possibly>. <laughs> <laughs> Did, yeah. it start, did it start rhythmically? Did it, it sort of went into some kind of crazy uh, area. Um, Pete Townsend, who is a wonderful, interesting, yet grumpy man, <laughs> has recently has started going around saying, I'm going to ask you what you think about okay. this. He's recently started going around saying that having Keith Moon in his group was the worst thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> oh, Be- really? Yeah, because because he says, I would have been taken more seriously if I weren't in oh. this rolling soap opera mm. come cartoon which is what the who were for the first 10 years you sort of think really wow I, what do you think about that i don't know he seems to it's funny he seems to sort of change his tune about keith moon from time to time so it's hard to know because the memory changes and then you get as you say he's maybe got a bit grumpy or you know so it's hard to say but i can also imagine it being a bit of a nightmare and a bit kind of of a bore having someone who's like this kind of excited schoolboy who just wants all the attention on him all the time. That must be quite irritating when you're trying to kind of get something yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. But there's quite a, a lot of that in pop groups. Well, well, yeah, I, there is, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it is always irritating. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'd imagine say, it must have been hard. I you say know. Pete is grumpy, right? I really, I really love him. There's a fantastic documentary. He's a big fan of this podcast, so we're obviously oh, very, great, great. very there's fond. A, there's, a documentary about, there's a documentary about Jerry Hall, which was on about 10 years years ago, maybe a bit more than that, and her former uh, uh, partner, Mick Jagger, is in this documentary quite a lot. And there's a bit where, because they all live in Richmond, Twickenham, there's a bit where Pete is visiting them and Mick says to Pete, Jagger says to Pete Townsend, how did you get here? And Pete goes, oh, I came on the train. And Jagger says, on, on the train, man, you came on the train. <laughs> and Pete Townsend goes, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, he said, but don't people come up and have conversations with you? <laughs> and Pete goes, yes. They're very short conversations. <laughs> I love it. I love I it. I bet they are as well. Oh, I bet they are. I, bet they I was are. quite in love with Pete Townsend just throughout my, my teenage years. He was my absolute hero. So if he is listening, Pete, and I love you. And the same thing goes for me. 
Oh. <laughs> what is this? I, I, I used to dream a, a about... A virtual dating site for... I used to, I used to <laughs> think how cool it would there. be. I love that. That era, that sort of late 60s, early 70s era where you've got... You know, you've got Keith wearing a sloppy T-shirt... Mm. M. Whistle is wearing his skeleton outfit. Yeah, of course. Daughtry's got no shirt and his kind of oh, buckskin jacket. Yeah. And Townsend is in his white boiler suit well, just, with just his black from the bobber nuclear reactor. Yes. Oh. <laughs> love it. I love it. He's, that's what he used to go to work in, though. When he, when he would record music, he would get dressed up in the boiler suit as though he were going to work in a factory. I, I like that. Yeah. That's I really like cool. That. That's a, well, yeah. Everyone has their uniform. Absolutely. Everyone has their uniform. They certainly do. Now, I don't want to kind of over-egg this, but... So you're a drummer. Mm. Am I right in saying your husband's a drummer as yes, well? Yes, yes, absolutely. This must be a very noisy household. It's really noisy. Our neighbours really detest us. <laughs> Actually, we live in a very small flat where there is no space for drums. So um, all you the need to make live... an offer on this place. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I gather there's loads of space in it. I've got lovely yeah. trees around it. Definitely. Be... Yeah, there will sort of be a soundproofing effect, I think, by the the, uh, the beech trees there. But um, no, we have a sort of studio uh, on, a, on a sort of bit of farmland so we can dis- disturb no one but maybe the odd cow. Um, and they don't seem to mind too much. So, uh, yeah, no, but D- Dylan um, is a much, much better drummer than me and and probably most people. He um, His name's Dylan Howe and he, well, currently he's in um, Wilco Johnson's band and that's kind of almost like a sort of blockhead splinter group because Dylan used to be in the blockheads for yeah, about 13 yeah. years. Norman Watroy, of course, on bass. And so when I first met Dylan, he was in, yeah, he enduring the blockheads, yeah. So, and again, quite a sort of, diverse jazzy kind of style um that he plays with and uh, and that's a very kind of blockheads thing as well because he was massively into jazz and yeah. and all the rest of it so yeah and all of this or parts of this have sort of emanated from your picture of keith moon on your bedroom wall yes indeed and the haunted spider sound <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i like to think it was tiny drumsticks yeah yeah well, away there Almost certainly, Sally. Thank you. (laughs) He is manifest. I'd like to think so. I'm I'm still holding on to that story. I don't care what anyone says. And no one, no one can take that story away from you. They can't. Andy, we need to look at your second card, but I believe you're also trying to cheat us today. I am. I didn't. You asked me for three cards, and what I did was bring a hundred and. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing the maths there in my fair, head. Fair enough. <laughs> I brought with me one of these boxes of postcards. This one is called Postcards from Penguin. It has 100 pictures of book covers in one box. And you would have seen these uh, for sale in, like, I suppose, in bookshops and in museum uh, gift shops, that kind of thing. There seems to be a real craze for them over the last few years. Penguin themselves do several different ones. They do Pelican covers uh, from the 50s and 60s, and they do some of their science fiction covers. Uh, I know other publishers do. I know Faber have done, and I know there are uh, also, but non-book ones. You know, there are there are boxes of English heritage, 100 English photographs owned by English heritage. And I'm quite interested in, in these because I'm really interested in the phenomenon of, as we said earlier, not reading as much as reading. And I'm also really interested in where the postcard is now in a similar way, that postcards, it seems to me, are increasingly being bought to be not sent. Hmm. Yes, yes. And, and right. so this, this box of pictures of books seems to me a brilliant <laughs> example of postcards from the past 
of books that people will neither read on postcards they will never send. I've only reluctantly broken the plastic seal on this because oh, really? I yeah, you want it as, a, as an artifact. Yes, because yeah, I like because yes, yes. I like the idea of the almost hermetically sealed object. You know that it's kind of it's it's not been tainted by anyone writing on it or me having read the book in question. Functionality use in any sense. So I'm really I'm really fascinated with these, and it seems to me be part of a broader trend of book jackets on posters and tea towels mm. and bags and merchandising. These are all ways of not reading. Yes. So if you buy this box of postcards. And let's say you give them to people. Maybe you don't post them. Maybe you give them to people, the box to people, or you or you write a message that you put in a book yes, or you put in a letter. Thank you note. It's saying something about you as the sort of person who would read these books if only they had the time. But actually, look here. Here is an image of the book that's preferable to being backed up with one of those troublesome things full of paper <laughs> that you might actually have to go to the trouble of opening and thinking about. Yeah. There was an ancient Roman emperor, I believe called Heliogabalus, if that's how you say it. I have no idea. I think he said it like that. I'm nodding. People he, <laughs> people he liked when he invited them round to his feast. They had very good feasts, these Roman emperors. When he invited them round to a feast, people he liked, he would give food. People he didn't like, he would give a picture of some food. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that what's going on here? Well, then maybe that is part of it, yeah. It's the idea of projecting an image literally mm. right but also it's a way of not reading and it's also nostalgia for the object yeah. i think you see that in the revival of vinyl Definitely. As, as digital becomes the dominant format mm. so vinyl which in turn in sales terms is a minor blip is being fetishized and romanticized mm. And I wonder whether that's what's going on here. You know, as life increasingly goes online or becomes more digital, we like to be reminded of physical objects that we feel nostalgia for, including books, because, in fact, we, we live in a country now where libraries are closing, where bookshops are not nearly as um, numerous as they used to be where the the place on the high street you are more likely to find books than anywhere else is charity shops and and all the books in those charity shops will be the da vinci code um <laughs> but also where even charity shops are beginning to turn books down yes correct. oh is that right so the physical book our idea of of what the physical book is is what we're almost sending these postcards that's why people buy them for themselves. I feel like I've sent myself a little postcard of a thing that I really like, you yes. know, whether, I, whether I've read the book or not. So if I split this at random and I, the first wow. book it's, I come it's to a, it's is a lot of hundred cards, isn't it? Man and Superman by Bernard Shaw, I have not read that. Have you? I must get round to it, though, Andy. I, I'm, you're, you're, I'm definitely planning to. <laughs> your attitude, Tom, does you credit. <laughs> I've learnt it all from your book. Uh, but Oh, here's Brighton Rock, you see. Oh, now, there's that a, that's a standard Penguin edition of Brighton Rock. Mm. But when I look at that, I don't think to myself, oh, I remember Brighton Rock and I remember reading Brighton Rock, although I have read Brighton Rock several times and I really like it because it doesn't look like my copy of Brighton Rock, which was an 80s one with a Paul Hogarth cover. But also, isn't there, isn't there a problem here? If you're using these, as, and I think these are for gifting. I think they're for notes to friends and they're to a little note with a present. Or a, mm. I would happily give someone a Brighton Rock card 
I understand what Brighton Rock's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was to give someone an Andre Morua aerial card, <laughs> I would feel funny because I don't. I've never because? read it because I haven't read it. But also, is there something about the the um, um, extravagant Frenchness of it that <laughs> no, would that I'm, would, would I'm lead? I'm very comfortable. No, with no, that. no. <laughs> but it's true. Now you raise a valuable point. If I if you give somebody a card with Brighton Rock on it, the chances are they have, if not read Brighton Rock, heard of Brighton Rock. If you give somebody a card with Ariel by Andre Morois on it, yeah. the chances are they haven't read. Yeah. What mm. is he trying to tell them? <laughs> yes. what, hang on. Exactly. What's go- and you don't even know what you're trying to tell them. Exactly. There are meanings in it that you haven't nailed. <laughs> yeah. My man Jeeves <laughs> is the next one here. I think everybody would be much more comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, even if you haven't read it. <laughs> so I would love to know. I would love to know what proportion of bookshops turnover was or indeed still is how much money they can turn over by selling pictures of the covers of books rather than the books themselves. <laughs> because one of these boxes is as big as, say, a copy of Moby Dick. Yeah. So for every one of these boxes, there's one less copy of Moby Dick available in the shop. In theory, in theory, if you believe in a, a zero-sum game idea of these things. But I think if I was a, 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 a semi-autician, which luckily I'm not, <laughs> I, I would be very intrigued by this this, this notion because you, you also get it in, in the music business, I think, where the merchandise, the T-shirts with the picture of Robbie Williams on, make more money mm. than Robbie Williams' music. Yeah. So the kind of the, the symbol has broken free of, of the thing. Mm. And that, that is a strange time to be in, I think, culturally. It's interesting as well. I think it kind of like going back to what you were saying about it, uh, you know, projecting something about mm. you or your image or you wanting it to do so. It's like the kind of literary version of when someone goes around in a Ramones T-shirt and everyone's going, <laughs> huh, you know, I bet, what's your favourite Ramones album then? I bet you haven't listened to them yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. It's all just about image. And it's a kind of similar thing. It's like, you know, I want you to think that I've read this book and I'm incredibly well read. You know, just by sending this postcard to you, it's going to go yeah, give me that kind of sheen of yeah. <laughs> sort of literary kind of prowess. I don't know. It's interesting. This the great it's... tragedy of the Ramones is that none of the Ramones live long enough to to get any money out of the t-shirt sales, <laughs> or, or the you know that latter day kind yes. of yes, or the yeah. Ramones t-shirt as found objects. You mm. know, mm. very interesting. Well. It seems like we are probably charting the um, the end of, of, of Western culture, which is <laughs> absolutely, absolutely fine by me. Thank you to the pair of you for your postcards. I think they have illuminated and intrigued. And I am always uh, genuinely surprised by where we end up going from these little cardboard oblongs. It's... Um, mm. It's very odd and it's very pleasing. So, um, you know, I'm thrilled that you've shared these stories with us and our listeners. Quick reminder for those listeners at home, um, we will have images of all the cards we talked about today on the website, including one last one from me. This is a card of a place called Sandy Way, which is unusual, S-A-N-D-I-W-A-Y, and that's in Cheshire. And it's sent in 1971 uh, for what it's worth on the 30th of November. Um, nice early Christmas stamp. Mm, oh, very uh, nice. Stained glass. Oh, you? yes. Remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Now, this one is... Um, the dog keeps on licking my face and hands, especially after meals. <laughs> I'm coming home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I think, you know, it's, when it's your dog, it's cute. Mm. When it's someone else's dog, oh, just stop it. So there you are. Yes, poor old. Um, <laughs> what was her name? His name, Joanna. Joanna. Yeah, she had enough. She had enough. 
Okay. Went back to Woking in Surrey. <laughs> Too much. It's a holiday to remember. Absolutely. No more sandy way what, for Joanna. What was your holiday like? <laughs> <laughs> dog kept licking my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we uh, let Zoe and Andy back to their books and records and projects, I've got just one more postcard for you both. Ooh. Oh. Um, I should probably hand it to Zoe because she's wrapped up in musical projects day to day. Even more than Andy. Oh, I say, this is very exciting. I don't think I've ever held one in my in my paws before, but how So weird. what have we got there? We have got, well, I was, can we call it a picture disc? I suppose technically it kind of is, but it's a postcard, but it's also a record. Is, like it, a from Ru- is it from Russia? No, no, I think it's from Czechoslovakia. This right. I think that's Czech writing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Colourvox is a the brand. Colourvox... Pl- wow. postcard that you can play on your phonograph. That is pretty special. Even if it wasn't a record, the picture, I think, is quite unusual. It is, it I is. Don't know, I can't really tell what it is. What's going on here? We've got a, a horseshoe, we've got some kind of <laughs> sort of unhealthy strawberries. Um... Zoe, you carry on with your descriptions <laughs> because I'm, my, my, I might come barely accept what I'm seeing, let alone describe it. We've got a possibly a Hungarian version of a sort of bottle of Worcester sauce and two yes. slightly discomforting figurines one yeah. in a kind of policeman's outfit with a very shifty look in his eye and another in a sort of traditional dress with a this, and this is a still life a still this is life a tabletop thing it I don't is know. have you have you tom have you played this to discover what message is uh, contained <gasps> yes, within yeah, it you must well um david next door who's been in the control room has the technology so <gasps> if he comes through oh. let's see if we can um, make My something God. happen this is very exciting Oh, here it comes. Violin playing, I think, fiddle. It's a very... It's not bad quality. Can you hear it? Yeah. It's good for cardboard. It's amazing, yeah. It's got a really peculiar... It's, it sounds like something on Warp Records, but played by an ensemble. <laughs> warp it's, warp yeah, being but the it, worst. Yes, but isn't it? It's sort of sliding around in terms of yeah. rhythm. The tempo's all wrong. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. There's a chap. This is like a sort of anxiety dream. <laughs> <laughs> I, I often feel that in this room. <laughs> it's a folk tune, isn't it? Well, as the music drifts away, that's it. This time for Podcast From The Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Zoe Howe and Andy Miller. Thank Thank, you both. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me, at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.